Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another Federalist Files episode. We're going to be going over Federalist number 65 today. It is written by Alexander Hamilton, uh, March 7th, 1788. It is titled, The Powers of the Senate Continued. Uh, topics include power of impeachment, House of Representatives inquiry, uh, Senate takes judicial character, and fear of partisan influence in impeachment proceedings. So this entire paper is is predicated on impeachments, in particular the executive branch. Uh, they go into pretty deeply. So in this paper, Hamilton summarizes the power of impeachment held by the Senate, uh, and the Senate will work. And I and I'm quoting him. He states, and I quote, in their judicial character as a court for the trial of impeachments, uh, the subjects of impeachments. Impeachment are, <clears throat> he characterizes, from the abuse of or violation of some public trust. So this one's kind of going to go into the reason why it is you're going to have in the House, you're going to have the articles of impeachment, kind of like the charges are being brought up, up upon uh, the president. Now that only requires a majority vote. It doesn't require any type of two-thirds or anything of that nature, just straight up a majority and then you have to go forward with uh, the conviction, I guess you would call it, of the impeachment would then be in the Senate itself. So then he goes on. He states next, and I quote, A well-constructed court for the trial of impeachments is an objective not more to be desired than difficult to be obtained in a government wholly elective. elective. The subjects of its jurisdiction are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. They are of a nature which may, with peculiar propriety, be denominated political as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to the society itself. End quote. So, there is no, uh, nothing in the Constitution saying that the, that, impeachments cannot be political. We just saw two impeachment attempts. Uh, one of them was completely invalid. The second one for Donald Trump, it, it wouldn't have been validated in the Supreme Court anyway, because the Supreme, the Supreme Justice um, of the Supreme Court, I forget the name, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, was not even in attendance, and they had uh, someone from the Senate overseeing it, which pretty much made it invalid to begin with. It's an invalid uh, attempt to you know impeach someone that no longer is president it was it was really just theater essentially there was nothing constitutional about the second attempt for impeachment it really wasn't even an impeachment attempt in in there they they it's crazy what they did the senate like made up some random rules that subverted the constitution and they pretty much went out there and they did a fake impeachment it was a legitimate fake impeachment the first impeachment was an actual real attempt at impeachment uh you had the house and then you had the senate go forward and uh nothing really nothing came out from that because you need two-thirds in the senate to approve a uh impeachment and they just they just don't have the votes straight up folks so Hamilton, uh, he emphasizes that due to this factor, they will often consist of partisan antics, which is something that I guess cannot really be eliminated, but he sees that this is the best uh, way to delineate the powers of impeachment. He didn't want it to be to regular citizens. He also didn't want it to be to the Supreme Court justices because he thought it was too small of a body and needed to be a larger body than the Supreme Court justices would be, which at that time 
once they came out with them, I want to say initially it was five, and then it jumped to seven, and then now it's nine. Uh, so he goes on, he states, and this is him talking about partisan antics, and I quote, The prosecution of them, for this reason, will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community and to divide it into parties more or less friendly or inimical, inimical to the accused. In many cases, it will connect itself with the pre-existing factions and will enlist all their animosities, partialities, influence, and interests on one or on the other, like one side or the other. And in such cases, there will always be the greatest danger that the decision will be regulated more by the comparative strength of parties than by the real demonstrations of innocence or guilt, end quote. So pretty much he sums up the attempt at Trump impeachment. Uh, the first one, like I said, for a phone call that he had about Joe Biden doing illegal and illicit activity from what it seems like so far, the alleged illegal activity. It, it was a illegal activity. There's a lot of dirt on Hunter Biden right now. Uh, now the independent counsel on his son, who knows if they're actually really doing anything. I'm sure that the Biden administration is doing every single little thing they can do to hinder that investigation. Now the second one is a complete sham, a complete hoax. There, There's no validity to it, even if it was voted that Trump were to be impeached. It wouldn't have mattered. He wasn't in office at that time. There's nothing. There's nothing laid out in the Constitution that says... You can impeach somebody that is no longer in office. They ha it is incumbent on them being in office to be able to impeach them to begin with. It's it's something that depends on the actual rules of following through with an impeachment. The person has to be in office, so then they can be removed from office. If you're already not in office, then there's no reason to impeach. If you guys want to criminally prosecute him, you can attempt to get some sort of law, which I think they're trying to do now in New York. Letitia James is going after him for some sort of tax law or something like that. Uh, but if, if you want to hit him with a criminal court case, you can do that, but you can't impeach somebody that is no longer president anymore, which I went over pretty, pretty in depth in the very, uh, inception of my podcast. So next Hamilton calls for the Senate to handle the hearing for impeachment. Oh no, actually, let's see. Oh, next he keeps, he continues on this. He keeps talking about this, this whole political thing with impeachment. He states, and I quote, the delicacy and magnitude of a, a trust which so deeply concerns the political reputation and existence of every man engaged in the administration of public affairs speak for themselves. The difficulty of placing it rightly in a government resting entirely on the basis of periodical elections will as readily be perceived when it is considered that the most conspicuous characters in it will from that circumstance be too often the leaders or the tools of the most cunning or the most numerous faction and on this account can hardly be expected to possess the requisite neutrality towards those who conduct whose conduct may be the subject of scrutiny end quote so who's specifically talking about in this case he's talking about the house of representatives he's saying the house of representatives have too frequent of elections uh their terms are too short so they would be, if, if anybody, they would be easily swayed by some sort of avarice or, or faction uh, because they are far too numerous as well. That's another reason. Additionally, so he said, what do they see as the stability of the two in the legislative branch? The stable, the more stable one, the people that are going to be, uh, I think he says this requires some sort of delicacy and magnitude. Uh, people that are much more 
responsible, experienced, are going to be the Senate. So that's why he goes on to explain why he sees the Senate as being the most fit one. He states, and I quote, The convention, it appears, thought the Senate the most fit depository of this important trust. Those who can best discern the intrinsic difficulty of the thing will be least hasty to in condemning that opinion and will be most inclined to allow due weight to the arguments which may be supposed to have produced it. End quote. So he's saying really you're going to have people that are they're running six-year terms. They're not going to feel some sort of way, some sort of swayed way. Uh, they're not going to be deceived uh, as well as a House of Representative member would be. Uh, they're much more stable in their position as well so they're not really going to be worried about pol party politics i mean really nowadays the the house of representatives and the senate as well just, just they both seem like the same thing because of the uh, the way in which the election process is to is to be handled on uh, the senate because they were supposed to be held accountable by the state legislator the state legislators uh it seemed like that was kind of a more fit depository at that time now it's kind of almost like they're just the same thing. But I do understand in going with the Senate because the Senate has some sort of stability to it because it's only 50 members. At that time, it wasn't even going to be 50. It was going to be 26. And the House of Reps, I think, was going to be like something like 60-something. So it's better to kind of have that power deposited in a smaller, um, more stable, older, wiser population. So Hamilton next, he relies upon the House of Representatives as the referring body of impeachment. This model of inquiry in the House of Representatives and trial in the Senate is derived from state constitutions as well as the uh, as Great Britain's system as well. So he's going to go into that a little bit. He states, and I quote, The model from which the idea of this institution has been borrowed pointed out that course to the convention. In Great Britain, it is the province of the House of Commons to prefer the impeachment and and of the House of Lords to decide upon it. Several of the state constitutions have followed the example, as well the latter as the former seem to have regarded the practice of impeachments as a brittle in the hands of the legislative body upon the executive servants of the government. Is not this the true true light in which it ought to be regarded? End quote. All he's saying is this one's going to be this one's pretty much derived from Great Britain. It's derived from some of the state constitutions. The way they had it set up is uh, they were preferring impeachment in the House of Commons, and then their House of Lords would be the one to convict. Kind of like how it is here. You have the House of Representatives. They bring up the charges. They approve the charges. You only need half the vote. Oh, I'm sorry, a majority of the vote. And then it goes to the Senate. You need two-thirds of the vote to convict. So Hamilton states next, and I quote, what other body, and he's referring to the Senate, would be likely to feel confidence enough in its own situation to preserve unawed and uninfluenced the necessary impartiality between an individual accused and the representatives of the people, his accusers, end quote. So the way in which they saw it at this time was the representatives, the House of Representatives, could not really be an impartial party because they were the direct representatives of the people, whereas... Uh, specifically, you had the Senate that was supposed to be the representatives of the people, but they were representative from the state legislative branches more than the people, and the, those state legislators were from the people themselves. And this also kind of speaks a little bit to the Electoral College, and that's, I think, the reason why they have this set up this way. The Electoral College, same way, uh, the way in which it was voted in, 
it was dependent on you know your senators and then it was also dependent on your house of rep members but you had your own little independent districts in the state it just shows that there was some sort of sovereignty uh in a way in your individual state governments your specific different districts really because in a state that let's say you're you're a democrat and this is the way it will work let's say you are in a republican state where you have a majority of the legislative branch in that state the state legislature is occupied by republicans uh, and you are a democrat you were somehow elected as a democrat in that republican state you would vote how they want you to vote uh, in many cases in that state legislature and that's really the point it gives more power to the independent jurisdictions rather than just pop by population like they currently pretty much do everything now uh, so he goes on and he talks about next he, he's going to argue that the Supreme Court wouldn't be a sufficient tribunal in the case of impeachment because they do not possess the degree of authority necessary constitutionally and in terms of the foundation of the people. Uh, he also has some other reasons for this as well. He's going to go on to state next and I quote. Could the Supreme Court have been relied upon as answering this description? It is much to be doubted whether the members of the tribunal would at all times be endowed with so eminent a portion of fortitude as would be called for in the execution of so difficult a task. And it is still more to be doubted whether they would possess the degree of credit and authority which might, on certain occasions, be indispensable towards reconciling the people to a decision that should happen to clash with an accusation brought by their immediate representatives a deficiency in the first would be fatal to the accused and the last dangerous to the public tranquility end quote so what they're saying is do they have in the supreme court the intestinal fortitude uh to hold this position then you also have to remember the supreme court is really selected by uh nominated by the pre by the president and then the senate was to be the one to appoint and approve uh the supreme court as well so they're kind of reliant on those votes as well which would kind of make them much more partial in a way and they also additionally do not represent the people they're appointed by the representatives of the people so you'd much rather have uh somebody that that has a closer they have a closer relationship with the people themselves but then he goes on he who you will continue this he states next, and I quote, There will be no jury to stand between the judges who are to pronounce the sentence of the law and the party who is to receive or suffer it. The awful discretion which a court of impeachments must necessarily have to doom, to honor, or to infamy the most confidential and the most distinguished characters of the community forbids the commitment of the trust to a small number of persons. So what he's now what he's saying is, if it was the Supreme Court itself, there would be no jury because the Supreme Court's already there, the court, they would make the decision. Uh, and there's such a small number of people that you're less confident because a smaller number of people is much easier swayed by one person than a, a larger body of people. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at in this case. And then, he, and then he goes on to actually state that, talks a little bit about, okay, so if they're convicted in the in the Supreme Court, then what happens if there's a criminal case after that? Then who is to also convict them on that, or who is to press charges on that? We're also going to have the Supreme Court involved in that. Then it's kind of like a double jeopardy-like situation. So you're better off 
keeping it to the Senate, but the, he'll he'll talk about that later. Hamilton presents another concept of an individual tribunal with the sole responsibility of trying impeachment cases. He alludes that this would be far too expensive and costly for the people because the significance of the case with no existing jury in place that rhymed. Uh, the independent council would need a far too numerous body to carry out its duties, which he actually, I think he actually goes over that at the very end a little bit. He hits on it like the second to last paragraph. So Hamilton states a further consideration additionally to think about, and this is, I think, where he kind of goes into the double uh, jeopardy type situation. He states, and I quote, there remains a further consideration which will not a little strengthen this conclusion. It is this, the punishment which may be the consequence of conviction upon impeachment is not to terminate the chastisement of the offender after having been sentenced to a perpetual ostracism from the esteem and confidence and honors and emoluments of his country. He will still be liable to prosecution and punishment in the ordinary course of law. Would it be proper that the persons who had disposed of his fame and his most valuable rights as a citizen in one trial, should in another trial for the same offense be also the disposers of his life and his fortune, end quote. So he's also saying, I think he's also kind of stating here, if you were to convict somebody on impeachment in, um, and it was the Supreme Court that held the power over that, then the Supreme Court also would kind of have to lay out what the consequences of this conviction upon impeachment was as well. So they would end up being the jury, the judge, and the executioner. They would do all the roles, which is really against our justice system. And then additionally, would you also have them oversee uh, the conviction in a criminal case as well? So next he goes on, he states, and I quote, those who know anything of human nature will not hesitate to answer these questions in the affirmative and will be at no loss to perceive that by making the same persons judges in both cases, those who might happen to be the objects of prosecution would in a great measure be deprived of the double security intended them by a double trial. The loss of life and estate would often be virtually included in a sentence which in its terms imported nothing more than dismission from a present and disqualification for a future office, end quote. So that's what's very interesting, uh, is that he does go into, of course, that you need to be removed from office and impeachment. So so once again, this is an important distinction to state that the second uh, attempt at impeachment was not really even an attempt at impeachment. I don't necessarily even know what it was. It didn't follow the Constitution. Uh, but more importantly, how are you going to have the same group of people be the judges in both cases, because then once they attempt to convict, let's say in a criminal trial, it would have to be the Supreme Court that would have to handle it because, or somebody from the Supreme Court would have to handle it in the criminal trial alone, just, just because of the position. It was the federal position the person worked in. Uh, I mean, it was the president of the United States. So it's pretty high stakes at that point. You would have to have Supreme Court handle it. Uh, so Hamilton claims it would be improper to have the same court try and impeach try an impeached president for prosecution in a criminal case because of a strong bias from the last decision, which makes sense. So next he states, and I quote, it may be said that the intervention of a jury in the second instance would obviate the danger, but juries are frequently influenced by the opinions of judges. They are sometimes induced to find special verdicts which refer the main question to the decision of the court 
who would be un, who would be willing to stake his life and his estate upon the verdict of a jury acting under the auspices of judges who had predetermined his guilt. End quote. So yeah, if you had the judges go forward, the Supreme Court judges, they went forward and they said, okay, this guy's this guy's guilty, right? We're gonna pull him out, and then now we're getting a criminal case. In the criminal case, it could be considered dead on arrival. All the jury will think that this person is criminally chargeable, just alone because of the preeminence of the uh, Supreme Court. They will they will do the old appeal to authority. They'll say, well, the Supreme Court thinks he's guilty. The probably means the guy's guilty, and they won't even think about the case. They'll go in there uh, with a predetermined uh, predetermined conviction. So Hamilton notes a jury may be insufficient in terms of impeachment due to their ignorance. They may often feed off of the influence of the opinions of judges. And that's in a criminal case if the judges were to want to convict and remove them from uh, the presidency. So Hamilton concludes this paper by noting that, and I quote, and th this is an important distinction. Once again, I've stated this. This is written into in the Constitution. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court the president of the court of impeachments as is proposed to be done in the plan of the convention. So chief justice, justice of the Supreme court who currently is John Roberts is to be the president of the court of impeachments. He's the one to kind of, you know, regulate things, make sure everything flows smoothly and to kind of oversight things and give a uh, context in terms of the law for those that are unaware. He could sit there and discern the law for them. So he goes on next, he states, and I quote, Would it have been desirable to have composed the court for the trial of impeachments of persons wholly distinct from the other departments of the government? There are weighty arguments as well against as in favor of such a plan. To some minds, it will not appear a trivial ob objection that it could tend to increase the complexity of the political machine and to add a new spring to the government the utility of which would at best be questionable, but an objection which will not be thought by any unworthy of attention is this. A court formed upon such a plan would either be attended with a heavy expense or might in practice be subject to a variety of casualties and inconveniences. It must either consist of permanent officers stationary at the seat of government and of course entitled to fixed and regular stipends, or of certain officers of the state governments to be called upon whenever an impeachment was actually depending, end quote. So this is where he gets to the independent council, where they say, okay, well, what's the other option? Instead of having the Senate convict, uh, we're not going to go with the Supreme Court. That's also not cool. We don't like the idea of double jeopardy, double, double trials. Uh, well, can we have an independent council that's in charge of this? And then he goes on to say, well, and th this is so funny because in America now, if they tried to implement this, this would probably be able to be passed through because everyone's so ignorant to what the Constitution says. They're ignorant to history, historical governments, oligarchies, monarchies, representative republics, democracies, re just republics. They're so ignorant to those different forms of government and, and historically how they have worked out that they would probably be in favor of this. And at this time, the founders didn't want to spend any extra money that they didn't have, and they wanted to keep taxation so minimal that they were like, well, listen, man, this is going to be expensive. This also increases the complexity of the political machine. We don't want government to be too big, too complex, too confusing. <laughs> but more importantly, this will be attended with a heavy expense, is what he says, and it will be very inconvenient for people as well. 
to have these permanent officers who stationarily just you know sit in these positions in government it's pretty much a complete waste we hate the bureaucracy is really what he says in this quote which i think is is such a change such a 180 from what is currently going on in politics so he follows this that this is a happy medium defending against double jeopardy while also maintaining a source of knowledge and balance from the chief justice's presence so that was the chief justice before uh, so next he goes on to state, and I quote, As the court for reasons already given ought to be numerous, the first scheme will be reprobated by every man who can compare the extent of the public wants with the means of supplying them. The second will be espoused with caution by those who will seriously consider the difficulty of collecting men dispersed over the whole union, the injury to the innocent from the procrastinated major uh, determination of the charges which might be brought against them the advantage to the guilty from the opportunities which delay would afford to intrigue and corruption and in some cases the detri to the detriment of the state from the prolonged inaction of men whose firm and faithful execution of their duty might have exposed them to the per persecution of an intemperate or designing majority, designing majority in the House of Representatives. So he's talking about a little bit in the House of Representatives how uh, you're going to have, like he said, the designing majority. It's going to be a faithful. It's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be factional because of that. And then he also talks about how if we have this independent council, it's going to be prolonged in action, you know, and they're not going to be considered firm or faithful in their execution of their duty. Uh, and then he kind of he talks about the expenses of it, of course. Uh, there's going to be a procrastination in doing so. It's going to take too long. And then I think he, when he talks about being numerous, he says the House of Representatives pretty much are too numerous, where it's it's not it's not uh, it's too it's just too many people. So next he and then also collecting this independent council from dispersed throughout the entire union would be extremely difficult to do, uh, and and also. Additionally, just a regular person probably would not have the knowledge uh, that is requisite for doing this. So Hamilton, he mentions when comparing the House of Representatives to an independent council, uh, he states, and I quote, It ought not to be forgotten that the demon of faction will, at certain seasons, extend his scepter over all numerous bodies of men. End quote. So I knew that was in there. I was, I was kept mentioning uh, faction. So that's what he's saying. The House of Representatives, there's going to be much more factionalism because it's larger. It's a larger council. Uh, and then he follows this with a call to action. And this is going to be the very, uh, I think the second to last paragraph. He states, and I quote, If mankind were to resolve to agree in no institution of government until every part of it had been adjusted to the most exact standard of perfection, society would soon become a general scene of anarchy in the world a desert end quote so here he's kind of recognizing it's a difficult power to give to any branch of government and not have it ran by some sort of a self-government source uh and he realizes that really this is almost like this is like you pick the worst out of the three. You could have had the House of Reps, you could have had the Senate, or you could have had the Supreme Court. He looked at the evils from the Supreme Court and the House of Representatives and saw that they far outweighed the evils coming from the Senate. And here he's saying that, you know, if every single, if we couldn't agree on a form of government because of one single part of the proposed plan, 
then we would never, I mean, it would be, it would devolve into anarchy and we would never be here. So then he goes on actually to keep, continue to talk about this. And I think this is the very, yeah, this is the very last quote. He states, and I quote, where is the standard of perfection to be found? Who will undertake to unite the discordant opinions of a whole community in the same judgment of it and to prevail upon one conceited projector to renounce his infallible criterion for the fallible criterion of his more conceited neighbor to answer the purpose of the adversaries of the constitution they ought to prove not merely that particular provisions in it are not the best which might have been imagined but that the plan upon the whole is bad and pernicious end quote so he's pretty much saying uh you know the dissenters the objectors to the constitution you don't have to sit here what you should be doing is you shouldn't you know, try to prove that there's merely particular provisions that you don't really like and you don't think they're the best options. What you ha- what you should be doing is proving that they will be bad and pernicious. They will be damaging in the future. And in this case, they probably really can't. If I had to sit here and, and guess for you, uh, the best way to do an impeachment, I really couldn't think up anything better than what they what they've put forward, unless if it was. Uh, and, and this has to do much at that time, especially it was a good idea because of the state's legislatures. The only other way that I could think of an impeachment being done, and I think this wouldn't work because once again, this is a far too numerous of a body, like he said before, would be to have the state legislative branches individually vote on impeachment, kind of like you vote on an amendment to the Constitution, and maybe you would need two-thirds of a vote rather than three-fourths of a vote with an amendment. That would, to me, that would be the only other option but that shouldn't need to be an option because you have the senators that are elected by the state legislative branches at this time. That was probably the best way to do it. Now the way that we have things, and it really is due, and it's derived from this problem that we change the way in which elections are to be, uh, senators are to be elected, is, is really the problem here. Is we've moved much more to a democratic rather than a republic-based uh, system. So that that will end this one, and this is kind of the philosophy he comes out here at the very end in the in the preamble of the Constitution. The the and I quote that in order to form a more perf- perfect union, this is Hamilton recognizing that this isn't a completely perfect plan, but it seems like all the dissenters, all the objectors, don't have anything better than than what he stated so far. Far so he says, okay, then you, what you need to do is this isn't. This is now incumbent on you proving that this is a bad and pernicious plan because everyone in the convention got together and we thought this was the best plan going forward. So that will conclude this one. I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. Please, you know, rumble on rumble, hit the rumble button, which kind of looks like a little glove. Like, you know, that's that's the, their version of a like, uh, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that'll be it for this one. I greatly appreciate it, and I will see you all next time. Hey.